I wasn't on, you probably still could hear me. So that's the problem uh, with, with microphones, trying to figure out if I'm on or not. Well, how's everybody doing tonight? It is great to be here. Uh, it is wonderful uh, to be able to dig into the scriptures with you all. Everybody, everybody doing well? I think uh, that, that worship set was, was really, really good to my heart. I, I love uh, being able to praise the Lord and, and be able to, to watch you all praise the Lord. It's a blessing. Well, we're going to be in Second Peter again today, and we're going to be hitting the end of chapter 1, kind of into the middle of chapter 2. Uh, so let's go ahead and pray and open up God's Word together. All right, my friends? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for another day to be able to praise you. Thank you for another day to be able to talk about you and learn about you through your Word, through the Scriptures. God, right now I pray that you be with each one of our hearts that you open up our hearts to hear your word, God. Uh, May you take my word away, and may your word come forth, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your scriptures and and what they do for us, Lord, the guide that they are for us and for our lives. I just thank you and and, uh, praise you and love you, and I just pray that you are in this place right now, uh, ready to, to teach us, to guide us, and direct us, Lord. We love you, and we thank you, and give you all the praise. Amen. All right. We are going to be talking about truth in the midst of deception. And so we're going to hit on truth and what God's Word says and about deception and what's out there today. That's going to be kind of what we're talking about. This is not, only, this is not the only use for Scripture to try to figure out what's truth, what's deception, but it is a big major use of Scripture to, to know what the truth is, to recognize lies from truth. And this is definitely the focus of this middle part of Peter's second letter. I pray today that when we're done here, that we're able to really have motivation to get into his words so that we can recognize truth and get into his words so we can recognize deception. And let's go ahead and get into the scripture here. Point one, we can recognize truth because scripture is inspired by God and not man. We can recognize truth because scripture is inspired by God and not man. So let's just jump right in and, and get rocking and rolling here. So 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What is this prophetic word that we see written there? What is that prophetic word? Well, if we look in the verses preceding this, we see that Jesus is the Son of God and worthy of all glory. Amen, right? He is the bright morning star that we see in verse 19. We also see that in Revelation 22, 16. Peter moves on to let us know that the prophetic word is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this gospel does not come from man's interpretation of events, but instead comes through the power of God through the Holy Spirit, right? So if if we keep kind of going and we look at the next chapter just real quick, we see uh, see here in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Anybody read Romans? 
Sometimes it's hard to understand, right? Which the ignorant and unstable twist in their own destruction. And notice this last part here, as they do the other scriptures. So we see here that Peter in this first century church is referring to Paul's writings already as scriptures. Um, and we, we, if we kind of keep going on, we know that, that in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by who? By God, right? So, so we've seen that scripture is inspired and breathed out by God and not by man. So we've had three, three sections of scripture here that really sum up the inerrancy of scripture. Now, what, what does inerrancy mean? Anybody know what it means? Without error, right? So inerrancy, without error. We see there is no error in Scripture because can God do anything erroneous? No, right? He is, he's perfect. He never lies. He's never wrong. His word never returns void. He always keeps his promises. We can know what truth is because of the inerrant Scriptures, right? The Greek word, uh, phosphorus, if we're looking here, morning star, which we just kind of mentioned, Jesus is the bright morning star. We see that in Revelation 2, as we talked about. It's usually referred to the planet Venus. Uh, I know Venus isn't a star for any astronomy uh, gurus out there. It's a planet. I, I'm aware of this. But if we look, it looks like a star, right? And it's actually one of the brightest stars, really probably the brightest star in the sky if we're looking at it, if we call it a star. And if you look at it, it's a little bit different than other stars, right? Because it's not a star, right? It's consistent. It's constant, right? So we look at other stars, what do they do? They flicker, right? But we look at Venus, it's a steady silver light that we kind of look. In a similar way, Jesus is the bright morning star like Venus. He is constant, right? He, he's unchanging. He's the light of the world. He, he's the brightest. He never changes, never fails, never breaks a promise. Praise God. He's always there and he's faithful. I don't know about you all, but I know I will flicker, and I assume you will flicker, right? We'll have ups and we'll have downs in our spiritual life. We'll have times where we're doing well and times where we're not. Times where we're on fire and times where we're just glad to be smoldering, right? However, he, he is always constant. He's always our confidant, our rock, our wonderful counselor, our prince of peace. How blessed we are to have such a strong and gracious and consistent Savior. We need that consistency found in Christ because we live in a world of relativity when it comes to truth. Many believe that truth is what's right for you, right? Many believe that it lies within your heart. If you search real hard in there, you'll find it. We'll talk about how that's wrong. Still others believe that there is no absolute truth. Who are you to tell me that there's truth? It's relative. It's true for you, but it's not true for me. And these ideas are propagated in our media and our schools and our workplaces, among others. I would hope that we as believers would all agree that this word of God is inerrant and is straight from God, that it is truth. I would hope that we all would say it says what it says, not go beyond and not fall short of what it teaches, right? However, we see some doctrinally deviant churches out there that are undermining the scriptures. We may see man's opinion begin to matter more than God's commands in those churches. Some are exchanging the glory of God for the glory of creation, as we see in Romans one twenty-five. They are preaching humanism, self-esteem, earth worship, among others. I know some of you look at earth worship. Where's that? It's, it's out there. Watch the news. <laughs> I'm sure you'll see it. They're denying the, pri- the power of Christ and worshiping the created beings 
and even the creation itself. How do we navigate in a world full of such relativity? By knowing and loving the Word of God, right? By having Jesus Christ in our hearts, by following Him. We are blessed with the living and active Word of God. It's not passive. It's living and active, right? We can discern truth looking at the timeless pages that we see in Scripture. The wisdom in this Scripture will guide us and direct us in every question, my friends, every question that you'll run into in this life. And some of you are like, well, I've never read a verse about this situation, or I've never read a verse about this situation. Well, I would argue that either in principle or in command, you will find that answer, especially with the interpretation of the Holy Spirit that lives within each one of us. We're blessed to be able to spiritually discern the Scriptures. Now, I would argue for those unbelievers, this doesn't have all the answers because they won't understand it. The only way we understand it is the Scriptures are spiritually discerned. So if you catch yourself reading Scripture all the time and never getting anything, we need to check our heart, right? We need to make sure we're, we're in Christ. Now, there's going to be Scriptures that are tough, that we need people like Pastor Kenny and Pastor Travis to sit down and be like, hey, how does this really uh, fit in, like prophecies and end times? It, it can get pretty tough. But there's some Scripture we should definitely be able to understand through the Holy Spirit, right? But praise God, He didn't leave us hanging in a search for truth. He didn't just say, hey, just here's my commands. I got here's a couple things. Go find truth, right? We have a lot of mystical religions these days that kind of set you up for just finding truth, and it leaves you just empty and searching and just grasping at whatever you can grasp to try to find that. We're asked to not, we're not asked to follow our hearts, right? What does the Bible say about following your heart? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus says, no, nah, no, you, you don't want to do that. You don't want to follow your heart. Where is it going to lead you if you follow your heart, right? As we transition into recognizing false teaching and teachers, I sense the need to really hammer home one important point. In order to recognize falsehood, we have to know truth. And I think sometimes we catch ourselves looking at all the falsehood out there and really trying to study it hard, and we'll go through some of that here in a little bit. But the only way we recognize what's right or what's wrong is if we know what's right. When I was in uh, medical school, I took a, uh, a class that kind of ran uh, for my first and second year called Clinical Skills. And, I, you know, I, I went into medicine to figure things out. You know, I like that idea of you know, having a patient just really trying to dig in and discern what is wrong. And then fix it, right? It's like, maybe it's a man thing. I want to fix it. You know, it doesn't always go well for us when we want to fix things sometimes. But, but I wanted to figure it out and fix it. And in this clinical skills class, I really kind of began to get kind of bored after a while because all we did was listen to normal. You know, I listened to my classmates. They listened to my heart. I listened to their heart. Then we had test patients that came in, and we do normal exams. I remember, I'm like, man, I felt like I was beating my head up against the wall. I kept listening to normal, like all the variations of normal. Then I got to my third year where I'm on more clinicals and getting my hands more dirty. And I realized why they hit me so hard on those first things. I I recognized when I heard something wrong. I had no idea what it was. But I recognized that heart doesn't sound right. There's a murmur. I can't tell you which valve's wrong. I think it's this one. Uh, You know, but but, but, but I can't tell you. But I could tell that something was wrong. And I think that's that's the way the scriptures work, right? We have to learn it. Because there's so much wrong in this world. We can't learn every religion out there. We can't learn everybody's idea. Frankly, it's just unfruitful to do that, <laughs> to waste your brain cells on all that. 
It's good to know some things to be able to be, to be able to kind of, as Paul studied uh, the culture and found the unknown God, it's nice to be able to, to do that. But, but we can't spend all of our time there. But if we know normal really well, we're going to recognize falsehood there, right? And I think that's something we got to really think about. We have to know them in their entirety. We have to study them. And I think so many people, they have devotional time. And, and that devotional time may be you know, a couple minutes. I'm going to you know, read a Max Licato devotional, and then I'm going to pray a prayer, and then I'm going to be done for the day, right? I don't think that's how we're supposed to do the Scriptures when we see it in, in Scripture. I, I don't think that's what God meant when he told us to pray always, right? To, to, to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. You know, we're supposed to be conversing with the Lord. And at times, we need to dig down deep. We need to really study. So if somebody's studying for the ACT or the SAT or, or a board examination or whatever it is, they're going to they're gonna put everything they got into it and learn it, memorize it, soak it in, understand it. How come we don't study the Scripture that way, right? We need to study it like it's life or, life or death, right? Because it is, you know. As a doctor, I deal with people's life or death mortally, or with mortality. But this is spiritual life or death. This is eternal. The Word of God brings life, but the prince of darkness in this world brings death. We must be able to answer Satan with Scripture as Jesus did, right? We do not live by bread alone, right? We're not to test the Lord our God. We're not to worship, or we're to only worship God and he alone. How did Jesus fight the battles of temptation with Satan? The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, right? And so we, we, need to, we must know true, the truth of Scripture before we can recognize false teaching. Second point I want us to get into. We can recognize deception because it denies the true master. We can recognize the deception because it denies the true master. And we're going to get into Second Peter 2, 1 through 3 here. Pull it up for you. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. After hammering down the fact that all Scripture comes from God alone, Peter kind of changes gears here, and he starts to talk about those who are antithetical or against the Scriptures, those who are false prophets and teachers. The Greek words for false prophets and false teachers are Sevdoprophetias and uh, Sevdodidaskalos. Uh, for those of you who are not Greek scholars like me, uh, what does that mean? Well, if you look, the, that Sevdo is really pseudo if we're looking at English here. So the pseudo is commonly used to describe false things. So we're seeing false teachers, false pseudo. We see that word even used now. And the Greek word for false, if we kind of go to that next step here, is plastos. Plastos. Does that sound familiar? Plastic, right? And so when we see plastic, it actually means capable of being shaped and molded. And in our postmodern era, that sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, being shaped and molded. You know, we, we need to be shaped and molded. It sounds really positive. So it's like, why is 
Why is uh, Peter using false words here, false teaching in that? And it's because this is in relation to truth. And that's the problem with this word here is the truth isn't moldable. The truth isn't shapeable. The truth isn't interpretive, interpretable. I'm making that word up. I don't know if that's right or not. But, you know, we should be moldable by the truth. That's correct. But the truth doesn't mold to our culture. We don't change truth to fit into our cultural ideals, to fit into what we think the truth should be. And that is a huge, huge false teaching in our modern, postmodern era of the church at this point. It's truth is relative. Uh, yeah, back then that was truth. But today it's different. Back then this couldn't happen. But today all things are okay, right? It's, it's, it's fine. The truth is fixed in time and space for all eternity. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, right? He is the unchanging God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the beginning and the end. The truth never changes, and the truth can be changed by no one. They may try to culturally explain away gender roles, sexual preferences, abortion, among anything, other things, but the truth isn't changed by their false teaching. The truth is firmly set for all eternity. Hate to go back to medicine, but it's kind of all I know, right? I spent a lot of time there. Uh, there's a me- there's there's actually a medical condition called pseudosiasis. I don't know if any of you have heard of that. It's false pregnancy is actually what it's called. I actually saw a true case of this when I was in residency, and it really blew my mind. Uh, false pregnancy, and so this this lady came in, and and this is kind of what the, how the condition usually presents, and she has no menstrual cycle now. Her abdomen has grown. She has all the other changes that you see with, with pregnancy. And everything just seems like, oh, wow, she's got to be 20 weeks along. She's got to be here. What's going on? Fully convinced that she's pregnant. You do an ultrasound, there's nothing. Wow. And how much more are these false teachers the same way? They, they speak as though they have authority. They speak as though they have substance, but there's no substance truly there, right? There's nothing to back up their false claims. They speak convincingly, and we even see here that they, they were successful in leading many astray, just like we see today. But there's no substance. How do they work? They, they speak to that evil and wayward heart we talked about in Jeremiah. The sensuality and other sinful desires that lead astray the people. Today we do have this type of teaching, as we said. The false teachers listed denied the true master, Jesus Christ. Why am I, why am I saying that many churches today deny the true master, Jesus Christ? Uh, most churches today, you'd probably argue, yeah, they, they mention Jesus a lot, some of them at least. Although it is correct, mo- most of our quote-unquote evangelical churches do mention the name Jesus. That doesn't mean they're talking about the Jesus Christ that we worship. <laughs> they, they, they preach a Jesus who is who they want him to be, not who he truly is. It's a Jesus that doesn't require obedience, doesn't ever judge, right? He doesn't judge. He gives suggestions, not commands. Jesus stated, however, a lot different. If we look at John fourteen fifteen, If you love me, you will keep my commandments right and then even more pointed we see here for whoever is ashamed of me and my 
words. Wait a minute. Whoever's ashamed, how many people have you heard quote the scripture? If you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you in front of the Father. That's not where he stopped. He said, if you're ashamed of me and my words, you can preach Jesus. You can preach the Jesus you make up. But Jesus is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. So when you preach Jesus without the word, you preach nothing. You preach, you might as well preach about that, that, that microphone stand. It, it has that much substance because it, you may preach it as one who preaches with authority, but there is no substance to back it up. When we preach this Jesus, there's a lot of substance behind that. It's all the substance of, of the world, the one who spoke matter into existence, right? They may preach a false Jesus, but we know that the Jesus we, we, we preach at this church is the one that said he is the way, the truth, the life. There's no other way other than through him. Praise be to God that he is our Lord and Savior. They may be ashamed to state that Jesus Christ is the only option. I don't know how many people in this postmodern era you found that, that may claim Christianity and say, well, he's, he's one idea, and he's good when it's the one I choose Universalism, right? It's a huge, huge false teaching today, uh, even among a lot of politicians out there that will preach, yeah, yeah, I choose to go to church because I, I like that religion, but I'm sure there, these other ones are okay too. They all lead to the same, same God, right? They all lead to the same God. No, that is completely false. When the Word of God, they're ashamed to state that He's the only one, right? They're ashamed to state that Psalm 139 says that God intricately weaves an unborn baby in its mother's womb. They're ashamed to say that it is immoral to take that baby's life. And in fact, they preach the opposite, saying, oh, no, if you take that woman's right, that's immoral. They call right wrong and wrong right. Evil good and good evil. But they preach to appease the sinful desires in our hearts, right? The, the hearts that want what is wrong, the hearts that want control, the heart that wants what we want instead of what God wants. How can we recognize these false teachers when they deny the truth and the word of God and the master author in which it originated? All right, let's get into the, to the third part here. Still got a little bit of time, so don't get too excited yet. I know this is your last uh, feeling, but don't, don't go to sleep on me, please. Uh, so point three, we can recognize deceivers by their deeds. If you fall asleep, I'm going to give a test at the end. Sound good? No, I'm just kidding. So, so we can recognize deceivers by their deeds. Let's go ahead and get into Second uh, Peter chapter 2, and we're going to go, if I can get, is it working? Sorry, there we go. Uh, we're going to go uh, starting at verse 10, the second half there. So, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, 
reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. So we've got a little bit more here. He gets, he gets even more uh, hardcore here. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey with a human voice restrained the prophet's madness. They are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. Wow, I feel like I should just stop right there. That's a, I don't think I can preach any tougher than, than what Peter just did there. So Peter has gone on now to describe false teachers and deceivers in great detail. They speak as they, they have no respect for authority. They speak with irrationality. They speak of things in which they are ignorant, right? They are shameless even in the daylight, and they are greedy. He compares them to instinctive and irrational animals. We have a new puppy. We don't sit that dog down and, and say, this is why you need to obey your authority. You know, it is, it is sin to disobey your authority. God is a God of order. No, uh, animals respond to positive and negative reinforcement. They're instinctual, right? Uh, you, you don't sit them down, and there's no, there's no higher moral thinking there. That's how Peter's talking about these people here. They, they respond to instinct. That instinct is their evil desires. They act on instinct alone. They follow the desires of their flesh, and their seared and evil conscience reacts not. Peter goes on to explain uh, Balaam, the son of Beor. For those of you who have not read this Recently, it's in Numbers 22 through 24, so I'll kind of summarize a little bit for you here so you can understand why he brings him in. So the king of Moab named Balak uh, sent for this known prophet, or I'll call him a false prophet or diviner, uh, that he might place a curse on Israel. So Israel had already begun moving toward the promised land and taking some different lands, uh, destroying some of the kings in the area. So Balak's kind of freaking out. The king of Moab says, oh, well, we got to figure out a way to put a curse on Israel to protect ourselves. So he sends for Balaam. He sent a large sum of money to Balaam uh, so he would come. Well, Balaam, on his way to see Balak, an angel of the Lord, tries to kill him three times. And the donkey actually saves his life three different times. But Balaam kept striking his donkey and was like, why does this thing keep moving? Why why aren't you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Finally, God opens up the donkey's mouth to rebuke him. Balaam was so lost in his sin, he was so lost in his sin that he didn't have open eyes to even see what kind of danger he was in. He missed the fact that the angel of the Lord was there to kill him at that point. He had become like one of those irrational animals. On instinct. His instinct was money. See, for the love of money, right, is the root of all kinds of evil. And we see here, and as you read it, you, you sometimes, I know for me, the first couple of times I read the story, I was like, well, Balaam kind of inquired the Lord somewhat. And we even see in Numbers twenty two eighteen, he says, uh, that the, it's the Lord my God is how he refers to the Lord. But what, when you really look at the story, you see that Balaam, was willing to put a curse on God's chosen people, the people that God would bring about the Messiah, the people that God had claimed promise to, that the root of Jesse would come out of this people. He was going to put a curse on them for money. 
As I read this scripture and discussed it with my wife some, I was looking for illustrations that may, uh, kind of some applications of this section of scripture for the present day church. I have to admit that the search as I was looking through this kind of left me brokenhearted. Now, I'm going to share some of what I read. I'm not going to name churches. I'm not going to name leaders because I really pray wholeheartedly that they, that they repent and that they are restored. I say this just to let you know, just because something says it's Christian, just because a CD comes from a church, just because... You know, your, your kids are invited to a friend's church to go hang out. You got to research it, my friends. You can't just assume because they say Jesus that they're worshiping the same Jesus that you are. And, and, and as I get into this, these are what we would consider evangelical churches. One church website says, states, Honor, integrity, legacy, and innovation are the four principles that guide our church. Sounds more like a business, doesn't it? Uh, there was no mention of Jesus Christ at all in the section of what we believe in this mega church. I listened to a, a, a sermon by this pastor, actually. It was tough. I'm going to be honest. It was tough to get through. I'm not quoting this out of context. This is exactly kind of the theme of what he was talking about. In fact, he was actually uh, took a scripture that was actually an anti-prosperity gospel scripture and completely turned it into a prosperity gospel scripture, which I thought was actually uh, pretty hard to do. I was somewhat impressed by his literary skills, but it was false nonetheless. I was like, wow, you took the exact opposite of that meaning and switched it. He stated, embrace the haters and get your stuff. Drive what the Lord blesses you with. I told you I was going to give it, but it was going to come with persecution, right? You're getting persecuted because of the stuff he gives you. That's, that's what Jesus meant when he said you're going to be persecuted on account of me. It was because of all your stuff, right? Uh, no, that's false teaching. Just want to throw that out in case you were confused. Um, then he looks at a certain section of his church and he claims, in Jesus' name, 10 new homeowners in a certain section. Sorry, y'all, I'm not going to do it today. You know, But he claims in this section, within the next eight weeks, 10 of you will be new homeowners. I about lost my lunch. When I found that same pastor a couple weeks before, just bought his wife a $200,000 Lamborghini, right? Do we recognize he may be justifying his purchase through his sermon? His deeds are exposed. Another well-known megachurch pastor preaches a similar prosperity gospel, but really leans heavily into command healing as well. This can sometimes be a touchy subject, so I apologize if you're offended. But we're going to talk about God's word and how it says healing is done. They don't have a view of God healing within his timing and his will, right? We know God can heal anyone at any time, right? We watched Brother Kenny here be healed and praise the Lord for that, right? We, 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 we prayed around him right here, and we watched God work. So I don't claim that God doesn't heal. He definitely does, and he does daily. He's still a God of miracles. He's still a God who does healing. However, he's not our genie. We don't tell God what to do. Who are you, old man, to talk back to God, right? <clears throat> this mega church here, I use the word church in quotes, claims healing as, this, as if they've already happened. And this isn't an uncommon thing. I'm sure you've run into people that, that do that. that. That they preach it like it already happened. We must believe and have faith. And so, yes, they're right. We, we do need to have faith and we need to believe, right? We need not to doubt that what God can do. We don't need to doubt his power. They're right on right there. But we cannot claim anything 
in Jesus' name, unless we know for sure it's what Jesus wants. Jesus allows some things that we don't understand why he does. And he heals in certain times where we don't understand why he healed there, right? We can't claim it like that. And what they say is if you're not healed or you lose your anointing, it's you or the problem. Your faith isn't enough. You just aren't good enough. Uh, you just didn't believe hard enough. You would have been healed. God wants you to be healed. He wants you to be perfect. He wants you to be uh, healthy, wealthy, prosperous. Everything be good. And if you're not, it's your fault. You're not, you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. Your faith isn't enough. You're not you, you, you. What is that? It's humanism. It's nothing different than humanism. And what it is, it's a lie straight out of the pit of hell. Because what it does is when you get cancer and you're not healed, it doesn't go away. Tomorrow, I've still got cancer. Two weeks from now, I've still got cancer. I believe God can heal me. You're just not strong enough. You're not enough. It beats you down. It robs you of joy. And frankly, my friends, it's just a propagated false gospel that we're all going to be healed. Brothers and sisters, death is not what we're to be afraid of. Cancer is not what we're to be afraid of. Hell is what we're to be afraid of, my friends. Hell is what we're to be afraid of. Our focus is wrong when it's on cars and houses, when it's on even health. Don't get me wrong. Health is a wonderful thing, and I pray hard that all of us have great health and that things go well. But health isn't near as important as hell. I'll just be honest. We, we know that we have won, as Pastor Kenny has already preached. We shall prevail. We know this isn't all there is. And so these false teachers focus on the here and now. And what they do is they get you so tunnel visioned on wealth, on cars, on houses, on finances, on even whatever it is, on selfishness, that you're not telling anybody about Jesus Christ. You're too worried about yourself. I got to have enough faith. I got to be strong enough. I got to do this so I can get mine. Sorry about your luck. You got to get your own. You know, and so it, it teaches a complete opposite gospel, a false gospel. And finally, we see another mega church pastor talk about Jesus only. Oh, I worship Jesus only. We talked about this a little bit already today. I worship Jesus alone. We don't we don't really get into this. That's there's divisive stuff in there. What did, what did God do in the Old Testament? He destroyed nations. People don't like that. They, they don't like to hear that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of sexual sin and because of idolatry. They don't want to hear that. that that's offensive. That's offensive. They don't want to hear about Lot and that Lot hosted angels of the Lord and that the men of the city wanted those men. They don't want to preach that. Let's not go into those stories. That's, that's going to be divisive. That's going to be offensive. So we're just going to preach Jesus, and we're just going to be united around the idea of this Jesus who is who you want him to be. He's this Jesus who loves everyone and everything. He's this Jesus that never judges you, never accuses you of sin. He's this Jesus, he died on the cross for you, but you didn't really need it because you're already good, right? You're already pretty good anyway. Just just try hard, just try, do Okay. That's the Jesus that, that they that they may worship. They sound so convincing, right? But what are they? A waterless mist. I love that term, waterless mist. Like it's a very oxymoronic term, right? You can't have mist without water. Like that's part. But it looks like it. It's smoke and mirrors. It looks real, 
But it's not. It's not. There's no substance with it. I pray that we don't fall for those things. I pray that we don't worship the God of ourselves. I could continue forever. I mean, in all honesty, there's so many false teachings. I bring those out not because they're worse than others. There's so many subtle ones. Works-based salvation. If you kind of that kind of goes with the prosperity gospel, some there too, and healing. Works based, like I, if you work hard enough, you're saved. If you don't do good works, you're not. You know, uh, there, 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 there's there's so many things there. Humanism, uh, universalism, it's all good. We could go forever and talk about these things. But what I really want to hammer down as we conclude here: know the truth, right? The truth shall set you free, right? So so when when the the lies of the enemy. When the lies of false teachers, false prophets, I'll say, start to speak into your life. When, when you hear something at school or in college or at work that sounds, man, that actually sounds right. But you know the scripture. And even though it sounds right, you should think more highly of yourself. Self-esteem. You need to think you're something's great. You need to just have more self-confidence because you're going to go places you do that. What does the Bible say? No. We have God esteem. He is to be esteemed, not ourselves. I must become less. He must become greater, right? Whenever all those lies start to come, we run those. We run anything that comes through our minds, through the lens of Scripture. And I promise you, if you do that, life's going to be a whole lot better, my friends. Let's go ahead and pray to the Lord now.